Happy Father's Day. Let's try that again. Happy Father's Day. I know in uh, my world, my three children are actually together this morning. They're not here in Charlottesville, but they are together. And there's no greater gift than to know that they are together and they love and care about each other. Now, in way of moving towards this morning's message, this morning's sermon for Father's Day, I wanted to kind of give you a sense of a couple of things with regards to Father's Day in my own life. So let me go get one thing. My dad loved root beer. Loved it. And in our home, we drank root beer. Because dad liked root beer. Not only this, but we grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. And there was a place in Wisconsin that was called Dog and Suds. They sold root beer. Anyone ever encounter a Dog and Suds? Now, forgive me, but as boys, we called it Arf and Barf. That's what we called it. And when we worked hard on the farm, my dad would take us in the evening to Dog and Suds, and we would drink root beer. The other thing is, my brother worked at Dog and Suds part-time, and so he would come home at night with gallon jugs of root beer because they had to clean the machines every evening. And I can remember waiting at home as a young boy, my brother six years older than me, I was so excited whenever Fred brought these big jugs of root beer home because we had root beer chugging contests. And the thing of it was, the root beer was usually somewhat flat. What did we care? The other part of my life, as I think about my dad, that was important to me was that my dad taught us how to build. My dad was a carpenter. And growing up on a farm, if you can't fix things, you go broke. And so my father taught us how to fix things, but his greatest pride was teaching us how to build things. But he had a limit to that. Two things he never taught us how to do. Number one was plumbing. And number two was electrical. And the reason why is, he said, those two things are buried in the wall. And if they go wrong, it's a huge problem. So he taught us how to build walls. He taught us how to frame up, lay roofs, pour concrete. He taught us how to do all of that. But he never taught us how to do electrical or plumbing. Again, because that's in the wall. And if it goes wrong, it's really bad. But I can say this, my dad had a huge influence in my life. And it's been amazing to me to watch him begin to shrink and to move from this life into the next. My father, when I was young, seemed invincible to me. How many of you were, when you were young, you looked at your dad and he seemed invincible? Look, if your dad's in the room next to you, just raise your hand, just shoot it up there. Dad, you're awesome, you're, you're strong. But my dad always seemed so invincible to me. The other thing I would say is my dad is one of my heroes. There's two types of heroism. 
There's the type of heroism where someone runs into a burning building and they save someone's life and it's kind of this instantaneous reflexive action. That's one form of hero. And I get that. But I think that there's a greater form of heroism, at least in my own life, and that is this. Is when you have a man in your life that consistently, day in, day out, does the right thing. That's a form of heroism that is not reflexive. It's not instantaneous. It's a form of heroism that comes out of a deeply grounded character in what is right and what is wrong. My dad is that type of a hero to me. There are many reasons for that. But as I often tell my dad, if I have any problems in my life, He's to blame. You want to know why? My dad believed in whooping you. And so when I was a boy, my dad believed in the Bible verse, even though he was not a Christian, spare the rod, spoil the child. He did not know the Bible, but he knew that verse of Scripture, and he believed in living it to the fullest. So I, had, I have severe damage in my life because of the whoopings that I received from my dad. But here's the thing that I often loved about my dad. He would say, here is a list of things I need you to do. He was an executive. He traveled extensively. And he bought a farm to keep me and my two older brothers out of trouble. It's a true story. And so he would give us a list of things to do. And when he came back, he expected the list to be done. And there were times when he was away where he would call. There weren't cell phones back then, if you can actually believe that. There were no cell phones. He would call probably once or twice a week. And there were times when I would hit something in my list that I did not know how to do. And you know what he would always say? I believe in you. You can figure it out. Now, sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. But I can never forget my dad saying those words, I believe in you, you can figure it out. And when you have someone that trusts you and is willing to give you responsibility way beyond the age in which you should have had it. Let me give you an example of responsibility I was given as growing up on a farm that I never should have had. As a matter of fact, how many of you men who are older look back at the things your dad let you do and you think now he's crazy and you would never let your kids do that? Raise your hand. That's me too. I can remember we lived on a highway and the way we got to different sections of the farming that we were involved with was we had to drive tractors on the highway. I remember driving tractors on a highway where I'm in high gear in a tractor. And the only way I could shift from one gear to the next was to jump up off the seat, slam the clutch to the ground, and shift, and then jump back up on the seat again so I could see. That's an absolute true story. I was nine years old and had a tractor flying down the highway with a load of hay behind me. And my dad thought, for some reason, that was okay. <laughs> Fran, I would never have let our son do that in a million years. 
But my dad thought that was totally fine. He didn't have a problem with it at all. He said, you know how to steer, right? Yep, I know how to steer. Do you know how to shift gears? Yep, I know how to shift gears. Get the hay wagon to the where we're going to store the hay as fast as you possibly can. And little I remember, let me tell you, there's no thrill like the thrill of being a nine-year-old boy in high gear flying down a highway with a load of hay and people are driving by looking and pointing in sheer disbelief because I would have to jump up in the air, slam the clutch, and then jump back into the seat again in order to see over the steering wheel. My dad is one of my heroes. <laughs> now, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to challenge men. I'm also going to challenge myself. I'm one of them. And in order to bring this challenge this morning... I'm going to continue the sermon series that we began entitled Life in the Spirit. But with that, for Father's Day, we are going to focus on an Older Testament character by the name of Samson. Samson. I found out this week, as I was talking through my sermon with one of my daughters, she said that Samson and the story of Samson is her favorite Older Testament story. It's her favorite. And so as I've been looking at someone to pull as an example for us, someone to challenge us, I came up with Samson right out of the gate. Now here's what we need to know. We are going to be reading from the book of Judges. The book of Judges recounts to us a time in the history of Israel where they did not have a king. In fact, God never wanted Israel to be their king. He called himself the king of Israel. But what God did have before Israel had their own kings is there was a time where Israel had what were known as judges. They were men that had political leadership, some military leadership. They were not kings, but the wisdom of God were on them, and they were often making judgments for the people around them. Samson was a judge. He was one of those. Now the scripture we're looking at now is when an angel of the Lord comes to Samson's mother and brings to her the following situation. She's up in years. Her womb has been barren. She has not been able to have a child, but her and her husband are praying that they would. It's relatively apparent that by the time the angel shows up, she has given up on that dream. And the angel shows up to her and says this to her about her son. Your son's head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. So picture this. Samson's mother has been barren. An angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to conceive, you are going to have a son, and you are to dedicate him to God through what was known in the Older Testament as a Nazarite vow. It's where this young boy would never be able to drink anything from the vine. He would never touch any dead thing, nor would his hair ever be cut. And so this is brought to the mother and to the dad before Samson's ever born. Isn't this amazing? It is the ultimate ultrasound. God says, you're going to have a son. 
But here's what's incredible. The angel tells her and his dad exactly what he's going to accomplish. He's going to be dedicated to God. God will be with him, and he will be used mightily to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And the Philistines were a godless nation who had conquered Israel. And God is going to use their, their son in order to set the Israelites free. Well, here's what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us this. Scripture says after a few verses that the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. Isn't that amazing? So as he's growing, the blessing of God is on his life and as we've been talking throughout this series about life in the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. So as he's a young, young, young man, God's blessing is on him, God's hand is on him, and the Spirit of the Lord begins to stir in him and preparing him for what's to come. Now as we look at this scripture, what I've determined is, for all of us this morning, is that Samson is a real man. He's a real man. Samson is a real man. He is freakishly strong. He is a judge. He's daring. He's literally, if you were to read through that chapter of the book of Judges, he is a one-man army. And he has godly loving parents and the Spirit of God is with him. So now, I needed an example of Samson. So I've asked Nate to join me up on stage. Everyone say, good morning, Nate. This is Nate. Nate, I've got to get you a microphone. Give me one second. So everyone say, good morning, Nate. So this is Nate. Nate, what do you do for a living? I am a strength coach for UVA football. Go Hoos. Very good. Now, why is it important for the football? What, what do you do and why is it important to the football team? Yeah, so a lot of people probably don't realize that strength and conditioning coaches spend more time with athletes than pretty much anyone else. So it's important for a number of reasons. Maybe the biggest for reasons that you wouldn't necessarily think just in overall personal shaping and character development, teaching, coaching, mentoring uh, through developing those relationships uh, by spending a lot of time with people. But then specifically for football, uh, playground rules still apply in the combative positions. So big people bully little people. Uh, therefore, it is important to be big. And uh, in the more skilled positions, when controlling for body weight, more strength equals the capacity to generate more force into the ground, allowing you to run faster, jump higher, hopefully play better. So. And to bully people. And to bully people. There we go. And um, so you've been involved with this career for a period of time. But I want you to also share with the church family what's coming in your life in the, in, in the near future. So what change are you facing? Man, I'm, uh, 
I'm two months out from being a father myself, so. All right, let's give it up for Nate now. Nate, the Bible says that Samson never cut his hair, so can I, can I help? Don't bully me. So this is the image of Samson that I have in my mind, and uh, that's a picture of Samson. Let's give Nate a hand. You can keep the hair. God bless you. Thank you, buddy. I think I can outrun him. Know this, Samson looked nothing like Nate. I can promise you. In fact, the Older Testament is very clear when someone physically was unique. Example, Goliath. We know everything about Goliath and his size. You know what? Samson looked nothing like Nate. But I needed someone that's kind of like the opposite of Nate in order to show you what Samson looked like. That's why I'm standing here. <laughs> you see, we picture Samson not true. Samson, I think, looked more like me. Longer hair. No one could figure out how Samson did what he did. There was nothing physically different. In fact, I think that it boggled the mind when people saw what Samson was capable of doing. But I want you to know this. Samson was so strong that in one context, the Bible tells us that he went in to be with a woman of the night. And while he was in there with her, he became aware of the fact that his enemies were going to try to come and take him. And so, in order to show them his strength, he literally pulls the city gates out of the ground and carries them up to the side of the hill and leaves them there. And he does it in the middle of the night. And when that city wakes up, their gates have been torn from its footings, torn from the wall, and is sitting there on the hill. What would you think? If you saw that, don't mess with Samson. But Samson had this freakish strength. He was stronger than anyone could have ever imagined. And here's what I want to tell you. In the world of, in which we live, Samson is a real man. Freakishly strong. He's got a position of authority. He's daring. He takes chances. He's literally a one-man army. The scripture tells us midway through Judges 13, chapter 13 to chapter 16, he kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Kills them single-handedly. The Bible tells us he had godly parents. His parents loved God and they loved him. And the Spirit of God was upon him. That's Samson. But listen, when we as men begin to look at Samson, we see a lot of positive attributes. We see this strength that's unbelievable. But here's what we need to understand. Is that Scripture tells us that Samson had an issue. 
And the scripture says to us that Samson saw a young Philistine woman. She was actually a woman that was from the nation that was the enemy of Israel. And it says when he saw this Philistine woman, when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman, now get her for my wife. Now here's what's incredible. His dad speaks up. And his dad says to him, and there's a pretty safe understanding that Samson is probably around the age of 18 to 20 years of age. And his dad chimes in and he says, Samson, why can't you find a wife from among our people? And Samson says, I want what I want. Go get her for me. And that happens. But the dad tries to speak into his life. The dad tries to say something to him. And the dad says to him, and you can read it in Judges 13, 14, 15, 16. Hey, listen, Samson, take a lady from our people with our faith and our morals and our sense of the world. Why can't you do that? Samson says, no. Now, as we look at the story of Samson, I want us to get very practical quickly. So as we begin to talk about putting feet to our faith, we do this every single sermon. How do we take what we're looking at in Scripture and practically apply it to our own lives? In other words, how do we put feet to our faith? Well, here's the first thing that I notice for us men. This is important. Here's the first thing. Faith must become your own. Faith must become mine. Look, the reality of it is, oftentimes it's the man of the family who is the last to come to faith. That was true with my father. I was actually in seminary preparing for ministry when my dad chose to become a follower of Jesus. But here's what I know. Oftentimes for men, we can rely on our wife's faith. What is absolutely crystal clear in the story of Samson is that he relied on the faith of his parents. That it were his parents who walked with God. It were his parents who prayed and he was literally a result of their prayers. That it were his parents, his parents were the ones that received his life's calling. And you got to believe they explained everything to him. But here's what's amazing. As we can see that Samson as a young man is not taking the faith of his parents for his own. He's trusting on them. He's relying on them. And so again, men... On Father's Day, let's look at our own lives. Is it your parents' faith you're relying on? Is it maybe the faith of the friend that brought you to City Church? Maybe it's the faith of your mother. Maybe it's the faith of your wife. And I know in my dad's case, it was the faith of his sons that he was relying on. But here's what I know. There comes a point, men, where we must make faith our own. We make our own decision to follow Jesus. It's important. When we look at Samson, the Bible tells us two times in the story of Samson a very profound thing. 
And it's this. That Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And if you look at where this verse of Scripture is positioned, what you will discover is, is that when Samson said to his mom and his dad, go get me a wife, she's a Philistine, go get her and bring her to me, I don't know if you know this, but that's not Delilah. That's not her. And what you see in the biblical record of Samson is that when he is a young man, he reaches out to a woman that he should not be with. His father tries to warn him. He moves through any way. And it's pretty clear in Scripture he treats her horribly. He essentially abandons her. And in the midst of that, the Philistine father, recognizing that Samson's a horrible husband, ends up giving her to one of Samson's friends. And what ends up happening is Samson gets ticked off. And the Bible says that Samson, can you imagine this, is fast enough that he can run and catch 300 fox. 300. I get tired thinking about walking my dog. He caught 300 fox. You know what the Bible says that he does in retribution against the Philistines after his wife was given to another Philistine? He ties the tails of two fox together, a hundred and fifty pair, and he puts a flaming torch between their tails, and he sets them loose all over the Philistine group, and what ends up happening, their vineyards, their wheat fields, and their orchards all burn to the ground. When retaliation, they come in, and they kill his wife, and his father-in-law, and their entire family. And so all of a sudden, what we see in Scripture is, is that Samson's got this issue with ladies, and his dad has warned him about it. And the woman that he marries, he doesn't treat her very well at all. But now she's killed. She's dead. She's gone. And the next kind of thing that we find in Scripture is this. It says, after those episodes that Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines, all it says. The next thing we'll read about is Delilah. But there's almost this season between his younger years and when he meets Delilah. And the scripture tells us that there's 20 years of time that he judges Israel. You know what's incredible? The Bible tells us nothing about him judging Israel. It's quiet. What he does during those years is not newsworthy. It's not noteworthy. And here's what I want to say to all of us men to challenge us uh, with this story. And it's this. The stuff of a real man goes unnoticed and is thankless. But keep doing it anyway. I want to say this again. The stuff of a real man usually goes unnoticed and thankless. But, keep doing it. There was nothing newsworthy about Samson for almost 20 years. What did he do? He was a judge of Israel. Total silence. 20 years, nothing is written. Here's what I want to say to those of us men that are here. Do the right thing. 
Keep doing it even if you're not thanked and no one notices. Because here's what I want to tell you, God does. God does. And I know, because I interact with enough men, that a lot of men feel as though that their efforts and the things that they do for their family and the things that they do up for others goes completely unthanked and unnoticed. Can I challenge you? Keep doing it anyway. Do it anyway. That's one thing I learned from my dad, is that you do the right thing all the time with the best of your ability. You know what's incredible? When he taught me that, he was not a follower of Jesus. He was not a man of faith. But he believed that that was the best way to live. So men, if you're here, and you're discouraged, you've been doing the right thing, working hard, making character-driven choices, following God, growing in your faith, and you're doing those things and you feel like it goes unnoticed, unappreciated, and unthanked, keep doing it anyway. Keep doing it. The next thing is the Bible tells us the next phase, and it's the most famous phase in the life of Samson. Sometime near the end of these 20 years, the Bible tells us is that sometime later, he fell in love with a Philistine woman whose name was, what's her name? Delilah. And the story goes as follows, if you've never read it, is that suddenly Samson meets this woman, he falls madly in love with her, and he's got this incredible strength, and the Philistine nation hates him because he's been wiping out Philistines, he's been killing them, fighting them, he's been doing all these amazing physical feats, and he falls in love with one of their daughters, one of their women. And the leadership comes to, to Delilah and says, look, we'll pay you handsomely if you can find out where his strength comes from. Because it's not natural. Remember, Samson looked like me, not like Nate. And so the idea is, is that little by little she wears him down. And the first time he's with her and she begs him and badgers him and nags him and he finally says to her and he tells her a lie about where his strength comes from. And the Bible tells us that they come rushing into the tent where he is with her. But he's able to jump up and his strength is with him. And he wipes them out. And I don't know who's dumber, them or him. But the same thing happens again. And finally she wears him down. And he tells her, if you cut my hair, I will lose my strength. The Bible tells us that she held her head in his lap while he was sleeping. And she shaved his head. And the scripture tells us, the scripture uploads to us, is the idea is, is that when he gets up and he begins to move and attack like he always has, that the Philistines overpower him, they bind him, and they gouge out his eyes. Here's what I want to say. Samson dad warned him when he was a young man. He never dealt with it, and 20 years later, it costs him everything. I want to repeat that. 
When he was a young man, his dad warned him. And he never dealt with it. And 20 years later, it cost him everything. Too often in our culture, there's a saying that's totally false. And that is this, is that time will take care of things. I want to be honest with you, time does nothing. Zero. It's what happens over time that deals with things. And Samson's dad warned him when he was a young 20-year-old man. And now 20 years later, he's probably in his 40s. And the same issue that his dad warned him of in his early 20s now will cost him everything. How do we challenge ourselves, men? Is there something in our lives from when we were younger that we have not dealt with? Ask God to help you to deal with it. And if you need help, go get help. If you need to confess something to someone, find a trustful source, confess your sin to them. Learn how to move towards wholeness. Because what I can tell you is time does nothing. It's what happens over time that matters. Samson's father had warned him. He never heeded, and it took him out, literally. As you read the story, there's a lady that I used to listen to preach. She was a powerful preacher. And the verse that I'm going to show you next says, it's the, she said in a sermon, this is the saddest verse in all of the Bible. And here's the verse. It's this one. That after Delilah holds her head in his lap, she shaves off his hair, he loses his strength, and here's what the verse of Scripture tells us. Judges, 1620, but Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. And he got up to fight as he always had, and his strength was gone. His head was shaved, then his eyes were gone. And Scripture tells us that they took Samson and they used him as a monkey in the circus. They used Samson to entertain the Philistine people. And almost all of us know the end of the story where they take Samson into an arena and the Scripture tells us there were 3,000 Philistines that were in this arena and it says that they were having a worship service to Dagon, the God that they served. And they were thanking their God for allowing them to conquer Samson. And they brought him in the middle with no eyes. And he was flipping like a monkey. He was performing for them. And they were cheering for their God, saying, You, God, has allowed us to dominate Samson, the judge. Of Israel. But the Bible says when he wakes up in Delilah's lap, he had no clue that God had left him. How sad. And as the story goes on, the scripture tells us that Samson does something he should have been doing his whole life. But it's the first time the Bible ever tells us that Samson prayed. Can you imagine? 
The Spirit of God had been upon him. He was raised by godly parents, but he never prayed until now. And the story tells us that as Samson is there in that arena, he goes to the young boy that had led him into the arena to perform for the Philistines, and he says to the young boy, will you please take me over to the pillars that hold up the arena because I need to lean on them. And in the midst of leaning on the pillars, the Bible tells us that Samson finally prayed. First time he's ever prayed. And it says that then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me, please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me get, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. He's crying out to God, give me strength to revenge them gouging out my eyes. And the Bible tells that he puts himself between the two pillars, he presses them, and the stadium collapses, and 3,000 Philistines are killed that day. And the last verse on Samson is this, that in his death, he killed more Philistines than in his life. I can tell you this, that's not God's best. I can promise you, that is not God's best. But isn't it amazing that here we have a man and God was with him and he had no clue when God exited his life. And the first time he ever prays is the day he dies. When we look at Scripture and we look at the story of Samson, we know that God was with him from literally in his mother's womb. We know that he was incredibly strong, that he was incredibly strengthened, that he was a man that God was with. He was a judge. He had positional power. He had so many things going for him. But here's what I want to say as we close to all of us men. Samson's strength led to self-reliance instead of trust in and worship to God. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. Men, all of us have a strength. All of us do. There's some area of our lives that we're good at, we're gifted at, and being gifted doesn't mean you don't work on it, you don't try to improve, you don't try to do things with excellence. I believe if you're gifted and you know you're gifted, you ought to work on that gifting as best that you can. But as always is said, or often is said, that every strength can also be a weakness. And that's the case with Samson. Ultimately, Samson's strength led to self-reliance. And I know that for a lot of men, one of the struggles that we have is self-reliance. That we look at where our strength is, we look where we're gifted, and it's so easy to forget because we've worked on our strength and we've applied ourselves in that area. That at times, it is so easy to become self-reliant. One of the best things that we could ever do in looking at the life of Samson and learning from him is to be a group of men who in the area of our strength, we learn how to trust God. And not only to trust Him, but to worship Him for the strength that we have. Something Samson never did. So men, happy Father's Day.
Happy Father's Day. But my passion in my own life and for you is that we would be men who are real men. Men that take heed when people tell us to watch out about something in our lives. That we would be men who would deal with the things from our 20s. And if you're in your 20s, deal with them now. Because here's what I know. They don't go away over time. They can so easily come back to take you out later. Here's the other thing. Let's be a group of men that in the area of our strength, whatever that strength is, whatever your goal is, maybe it's to build a company, maybe it's to have a great family, maybe it's to be strong physically, I don't care what it is, whatever area of your strength is, apply yourself, study, do an awesome job at it. But in the midst of that, do not become self-reliant. But in the midst of that, learn how to trust God and to worship Him in the midst of that area of your life. Let's stand together as we close. Gentlemen, let's close our eyes. Ladies, please join us. But men, if you're comfortable, extend your hands out in front of you as a sign of your receptivity and your humility before God. Whatever God has spoken into your heart and into your soul, calling you to put feet to your faith in response to this simple message, I pray that as you stand in God's presence, you would listen to Him Allow him to speak into you about what it is to do next. Let's worship him together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. blessing over all of us men who are standing in our, into your presence. Help us to be men of the Spirit, 
us to be men that grow deeply into what it means for God to be with us through Christ. Jesus, help us to be real men, to do the right thing, even when no one gives us accolades or even notices. Help us. God, thank you for Father's Day. Bless every man and every father in this room. And I pray these things in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Before I give the blessing, men, if you don't have anything planned for this evening, there's a small group of us from City that will be at the Tom Sox game right over here at 7 o'clock. Here's what I love about it. It's only $2 per person if you park by the road. So my wife is going to make a $4 investment in me being father today. But we'll be there at 7 if you would like to join us. The other things I want to say is this, is that we're going to have a couple of games after for men. Good luck. And then last but not least, if you would have the availability just for a few moments to help us tear down this, as you can tell, a big holiday travel weekend on Father's Day. We're just a little bit short for tear down. So if you could help us with that in the end, Nate is going to stay and help us because of how strong he is. Because I'm weak, I'm exempt from that. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May God our Father cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give all of us His peace and His strength. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.
trouble that we would look to you, God. That your name would be the first name on our lips. We love you, Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing on the fathers today. Let them feel you near, Lord. We bless them. Bless this in Jesus' name. Go in peace.